Welcome to the True Vine Podcast. Wherever you are listening, we hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and brings perspective that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. I love the Word of God. Do you love the Word of God? Let me just throw in a little something here. If you struggle with reading the Word of God, before it becomes a desire, it might have to become a discipline. So just like you get up in the morning and you make your coffee because you're disciplined, you add your little creamer, then you go throughout your routine. Now you've come to a point in your walk with um, coffee that you desire it. You no longer need the discipline or the habit you desire and you crave it. So that's just a little plug for the Word of God. Build the discipline every day that you get up, whether you have time for one verse, sometimes that is all contingent upon how crazy my kids are acting. I got a six and eight year old. Or sometimes I get a whole chapter in before they start hanging from the roofs at 6 a.m. So you get to a point where you build a discipline and then that desire starts coming and then you just start feeling gross if you don't do it, right? Like when I work out, if I don't work out for three days, I don't feel right. I feel gross. But if you build the discipline, then desire comes. Okay, Matthew, that's for free. Matthew chapter seven, verse seven, starting at verse seven. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it'll be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will you give him a serpent? Verse 11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask. That is a familiar scripture that we have, but we're going to kind of go a little deeper in it. But Lord, I come to you today. I pray that you would anoint my lips in the little bit of time that I have, God, that your people would hear your word and let it be applied to our lives by the time we walk out this door. I claim it and I seal it with a yes and amen in the precious name of Jesus. You may be seated, you God bless you. So let's think about this for a bit. God is all loving. He's all knowing. He's all wise. We've been taught and we've heard that he can do whatever he wants, when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it. So it's interesting to me that in this scripture in Matthew, he wants us and he's inviting us, not only inviting us, but urging us to be a part of what's going on, right? He's urging us to ask and to seek and to knock because he wants full participation in what he's doing in my life. It's very interesting to me that he, he knows everything and he can do whatever he wants, but yet he still wants me to link arms with him. So there's a few reasons why we maybe don't latch on to that participation. God's asking us, he's urging us, be a part of what I'm doing in your life. Ask and you'll get it. Seek and you'll find it. Knock and it'll be open unto you. But there's a few reasons as to why we don't do that. And here's the number one, one of the reasons is wrong beliefs. We have wrong beliefs about who God is and about his character. We don't really believe he is a good God that wants good things for us. We don't realize the promises in the Bible and how God really wants to interact with us. Could be distorted perspectives. We underestimate what God can do for us and we overestimate what we can do for ourselves. Number three, bad experiences. We felt burned by God, abandoned by him, ignored by him. So why would we go to him again? We don't like feeling like that. 
And the last option could be lack of, lack of knowledge. We don't know how to pray, and it's just overwhelming, so we don't even start. Those are just four little reasons that we've come up with that maybe that's why you're not fully participating in the asking and the seeking and the knocking. But in Matthew 7, there are two principles about how to pray. And we're going to break these down. The first one is pray with persistence. And the second is prayer has to be rooted in God's character. Pray with persistence and prayer has to be rooted in God's character. So in the original language of this verse, the verbs ask, seek, and knock, they're imperative verbs, meaning it comes with an order or a command. A verb carries an ongoing continual action. So you don't just ask once and then you're done. You don't just search for it once and then you're done. You don't just knock for it once and then you're done. It's a continual ongoing thing that you have to do. So the other day I was at home and I was in the restroom downstairs. Now, was I really going to the bathroom or just trying to find five minutes of peace? You will never know. But I was there. I was in the restroom and I hear, mom. And the good mom that I am, I don't answer. So I'm like, oh, Jesus. Mom. I stay quiet. (laughs) Then I hear little feet. And I'm like, oh, Lord, he's looking for me. I know it's Nixon because I know you know your kid's voice, right? And then after I hear pitter-patter all the way down, I hear, and in my head I'm thinking, he found me. <laughs> he found me. And I go, yes, Nixon. He goes, oh, I was looking for you. And I go, oh, I know, bud. I know. But the reason I give you that little part of that story is because there is an escalation. There is a way that he, first he was asking. There's an intensity Then he started looking because I didn't say anything. And then his intensity grew and said, I got to start knocking on doors. Am I by myself? Because by the way, this is another time I actually did leave them at their house for like five seconds by themselves. So he probably really was scared of that. Like, am I by myself? But there's an intensity of where he started asking to looking to knocking. Okay. So there is an escalation of intensity about asking God what we want. There are two stories in the Bible that Jesus shares with his followers. The first one is Luke 15, where a man comes to his friend's house and he's asking him for bread. And you can look this up later. He's asking him for bread. And in so many words, his friend says, what are you doing here? The lights are off. The kids are in bed. I'm in my pajamas. I ain't giving you no bread. Like, why are you here? Okay, in so many words. But then the Bible tells us, because of his shameless persistence, in other words, because he's annoying and bugging him, He gives him the bread. It's not because you're my friend and we have a relationship. It's because you won't leave me alone and I'm tired. Okay, you keep coming to me. That's one example that God gives his people. Another one in Luke 18, there's a widow, went to a judge to give her justice. The Bible tells us he he asked, she asked and asked. And for years, he refuses. I'm not giving you justice. Verse five says, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continually coming. These are scriptures that Jesus is sharing with his followers that he's connecting with ask, seek, and knock. Okay? So here's my takeaway. Prayer is aggressive sometimes. I think sometimes we have to get back one more time in the ring and say, God, I'm asking again. I'm saying, please, God, can you hear me? Because I'm struggling. I'm not understanding what's going on. It's aggressive, okay? 
But oftentimes what we do as Christians is we resort to prayer when there's nothing left. You've tried all your resources. You've bugged everybody with everybody's cell phone number that you got in there that they're blocking you. Okay? You have tried everything that you can do. And then, well, all I can do is pray. Isn't that backwards? No, all you do is pray first. And then why don't you try the resources and let God help the resources that he's placed in your life. Amen? So we think it's a passive little thing and we resort to it with timid. Or maybe if God wants to help me. Maybe if God wants to heal me. I mean, he knows I'm struggling. He sees me, right? So, you know, whatever his will is. And that is true. There is a time and place for that. But sometimes we have to be aggressive. God is going to do what he's going to do. So maybe I shouldn't even pray. We can get that mentality if we're not careful. But let me tell you, but Abraham, when it came to Sodom and Gomorrah, he changed his mind. He said, if you can find this amount of people, and Abraham's struggling. I can't find anybody. How about this amount? Okay, that amount. Let me go back and find. Okay, no. How about this amount? He kept going back and forth with God. So that tells me that I can change the mind of God if I'm persistent. So these stories show us that prayer is aggressive. And sometimes you have to go back one more time with God and say, God, please. I'm desperate. God, please. I need a miracle. I need you to step in, God. So I think saying please to God is asking God. It requires us to go the distance. To be consistent. To be determined. So when our mind tells us to give up, our heart says, keep going. When my mind says, you can't take it anymore, my heart says, keep believing. When my mind says, you're going to be sick for the rest of your life. No, my heart tells me, I know that God heals me. God can do this. You got to be persistent. You got to go the distance. It's like the friends who lowered the man down from the roof on his mat. They didn't look for excuses. They made a way. It's like the woman who breaks all religious rules and busts into a party to wash the feet of Jesus while people talked about her. It's like the woman that pushes through the crowd and says, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. It's like the Canaanite woman who pleads with Jesus, heal my daughter. But at first, the Bible tells us he ignores her. The Canaanite woman says, Jesus, heal my daughter. And he pushes her away. He ignores, he ignores. But then he says, woman, your faith is great your daughter is healed we must be aggressive and persistent and bold when we come to the throne of God we are his children but this is what I want to point out with all of these stories these quick little stories that I showed you is that the common thread in all these stories is the presence of humility all of these people were desperate And their persistence itself is a posture of humility. They were coming on their knees to God and say, God, I have nothing left. I can't heal my daughter. I can't, the woman with the issue of blood, I can't heal myself or I would. His friends that are dropping him down from the roof, I can't heal my friend or I would. I'm desperate. I need you to intervene in my life. Have you ever been there? Well, you don't even have the words to say. You don't even know what to pray. And you're like, God, I hope you're reading my tears right now because I don't even have any words. I'm so heartbroken. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so taken by this world or the situation that I'm in. 
But let me present this to you. I wonder if sometimes we miss out on our answer because we are not willing to look foolish enough. Because we don't want to be foolishly persistent. We let pride affect our prayer. We're so prideful that we're not even prayerful. Because I can't let people around me or my church family know that I'm struggling or how desperate I am or that I'm in a valley or that my marriage is on the rocks or that all these different things. And all God is asking is for a posture of humility. When you come to me on your knees, you're my child. You think I'm going to turn you away? You think I'm not going to make a way for you? But we let pride get in the middle of our prayer and it throws us off track. It makes us sometimes miss our blessing or our miracle or what we're going through. The other side to prayer is it has to be rooted in God's character. Has to be rooted in God's character. There is a New Testament scholar, his name is Brad Young, that says, Our problem with prayer is God. Sounds a little funny, doesn't it? Our problem with prayer is God. But here's the deal what we believe and experience in prayer is all summed up in what we believe to be true about God's character. You can pray and not believe that God can really make a way. You can pray for healing and have the doubt in the back of your mind that it's not coming. Do we really believe that he is good? Do we really believe that he's faithful? Do we really believe that he's trustworthy? Do we really believe that he's sovereign? Do we really believe that he will give us good gifts? It's rooted in the character of who God is. In our scripture in Matthew, it relates a father and child relationship and how earthly fathers give to their kids. I thought for a moment of maybe implementing this live and asking my dad for $500 for the sake of the sermon. Do you have $500? <laughs> And that he's not going to deny, well, he did throw me under the bus last week, so he probably would deny me $500 in front of the same group of people that are no longer on my side, right? So then, you know, I talked to myself, I said, it's probably not a good, this is not my target audience. You know, they just clearly have something against me. But <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm saying, he relates father, and so he goes on to say, how much more will your heavenly father give you? But you know what our problem is? We don't approach God like we believe we're his kids. You think you're the in-laws. A forced relationship. My son, and, my son married this daughter, so yes, I have to love you by law, right? But that's how we approach prayer in prayer sometimes. Like, I know, like, pastor's your kid because, like, why wouldn't he be? But me, like, I know I'm, like, the in-law, I'm the outsider. But if you can just, like, throw me a bone, like, can you just answer this one prayer? But sometimes how we approach God is that way. It sounds funny and we laugh about it, but it's the truth, right? We're not the in-laws, we're not the outlaws. We are God's children. And he is our father. Like, tell me, if you went to your dad and you were needed something, that he wouldn't give it to you here on earth. And if you were with us about last August when Brother Green was here and talked about daddy issues, how we approach our father. Hey, I'm your kid. I need help. Help me. A lot of the times that messes with us and we don't approach God like we're his kids. A.W. Tozer said, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. When you think about God, what comes to mind frames everything. Frames how you view yourself, how you view the world, 
how you view those around you, it frames everything. And let me tell you, it most definitely will affect the way that you approach prayer. So don't yell it out, but think for a second. What's the first thing that comes to mind when I think of God? And I bet you all across this room, there are different answers. Some of them are not kind. Some of them are believe that he's a powerful working God. God has a perspective that we don't have. When God says he will give us good gifts, it's hard to believe but there could be a vast difference between the two definitions of what I think is good and what he thinks is good. Understanding what God thinks is good could be different. And as I was putting this together, I'm like, you know, so many times we reference Romans and we love the quote and we know that all things God works for the good, for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We know that scripture, right? We stand on that scripture. We believe in that scripture. We like to think with that scripture that everything will work out all fine and dandy and the outcome of the situation or what we're praying for will work out in my favor. So for example, if I didn't get that job, there must be a better job for me, right? Have we thought that before? But maybe it has nothing to do with the job and everything to do with the fact that he wants you to depend on him for your needs. The scripture says, according to his purpose is when it's for my good. So what if his purpose is for you to learn patience, not to actually remove that person in your life that is testing your patience? What if his purpose is for you to trust him and not heal you until you do? Hear me, somebody. What if his purpose is to help you with self-control and not change your spouse or your kids to fit your personality? The scripture comes to life when his purpose is done in my life, not when it goes my way, not when it feels good. We like to take that scripture and we like to say the end result that it'll work out for my good, which means I will feel good. But what is the purpose of what you're going through? His purpose could be different than what you think your purpose is for that situation. Amen? Amen. What seems to be best to us is not always what is best for us. That's a hard pill to swallow because we think we know everything. We know what's best for us. We've been us our whole life. How would we not know what's good for us, right? But I remind you, what seems to be best to you is not always what is best for you. He said he will give us good gifts. Now, this is the part of the message where I got to break it down. We must remember that God does not always give people what they ask for. true Paul had a thorn in his flesh he prayed for it to be removed and what did God tell him my grace is sufficient for you Matthew 26 39 three times Jesus prayed if it possible let this cup pass from me three times he was persistent he was asking he left the disciples he was seeking he was knocking but he said let your will be done and we know how that story ended. If it's possible, let this cup pass for me. So Psalms tells us that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. 
And it sounds good and it sounds powerful. But when you're in the middle of it, man, do you wish you could think like God? Do you wish you could understand like God? Because you feel like you would give yourself a little bit more patience or a little bit more grace or a little bit more understanding. But sometimes we just don't understand what, why, what we are praying for, God isn't doing or God didn't do. We don't understand that. And then we try to say, I've been praying, I've been fasting. But the Bible tells us some things come by prayer and fasting. Not everything. Some things. So sometimes we don't understand because we're flesh, we're human, and we don't say, God, I've done everything I can. I have changed habits. I have cut people out of my life. I have rearranged things, and it's not happening, and I don't understand. So what do we do when his actions collide with our expectations? What do we do when his actions collide with our expectations? He doesn't show up like we thought. He doesn't heal like we prayed. He doesn't restore like we desired. He doesn't remove like we requested. And we've even throw a pretty in front of that, please. Pretty please, Jesus. If I've ever done it, and we always go to Africa, right? That's the only pe- the people that need to be saved in Africa. No, I'll go to Africa, Lord, if you would. Only Africa has souls that need people, I guess, because everybody always says that, right? But we throw a pretty in front of that, please. We say, God, I will do whatever door you open. I will walk through it. But oftentimes I say, God orders your steps and your stops. If you're going to pray that, he's going to order your steps, but he's also going to stop you. And you can't just have the steps being ordered and the stops not being ordered. So oftentimes we say, pretty please, and I just don't understand. And I know I've experienced this, and I know I'm in a room full of people that have experienced more times than we'd like to admit or say. So what now? What do we do now? We have prayed. We have read the word of God. We have done everything we can. The Bible says when you've done all you can... can All you can do is stand. Well, I've been standing and my knees are getting weak. What now? And here's the harsh reality. I wish I had an answer for you this morning. But I don't want to leave you with empty promises or shallow sentiments. But this is what I know. That regardless of what comes through, of what happens and what doesn't, we get the presence of Jesus. And there's no answered prayer. There's no miracle. There's no blessing that could come close to the joy we experience in the presence of Jesus. Why don't you just take a minute all across this room and bring in his presence one more time. Jesus, we welcome into your house. You are welcome. Have your way, Jesus. Help us, God, to see clearly today, to get the mind of Christ, God, to hear your word. Let it encourage my soul. It's his presence that we get. You see, answered prayers, miracles, blessings. Here's the things about that. They build our faith. It does not change who God is. It does not change how powerful That is all earthly stuff to help us on this earth. So when he heals you, that's to help you and to prove his glory. But he doesn't need to prove it that way necessarily. That's for us. 
So it builds our faith, but it does not change who God is. When you're in the presence of God, your problems seem smaller. Your burden seems lighter. Your worries seem less. There's been so many times that I've been in the presence of God, and some of you can attest to this, that you are just so lighthearted that you walked out and you found out that someone stole your car. You'd be like, okay, well, someone from the church give me a ride home. <laughs> because you've just been in the presence of God, and you're like, whatever happens, happens. Because I'm confident that I've got the Spirit of God living in me, and I'm confident that He loves me. doesn't have to look all pretty, but when you're in the presence of God, the weight of the world just begins to lift. And so you don't even remember what you're praying for. You don't even remember what's heavy on your mind because you're not worried, did I get that job? And am I going to pay that bill? Is he going to heal my husband? Because you're in the presence of God at a posture of humility saying, God, I don't have it all together, nor do I need to because you do. So my prayer is that the presence of God would invade your reality. It would invade your prayers. It would invade your desires. It would invade your requests, your needs. Now hear me, the children of Israel ex experienced the protection and the provision of God, but what they most desperately needed was the presence of God. You can have the provisions of God. You can have the protection of God. But what we desperately need is the presence of God because that's where we're changed that's where we're challenged. That's where we're pushed. That's where we see things open. Can you picture for a moment if the children of Israel had experienced the presence of God a little more, maybe they would have grumbled less. If they were in the presence of God, maybe they would have showed a little grace to Moses that he's trying to figure out what he's doing too. If they were in the presence a little more, maybe more would have gone to the promised land. See, their needs were met. God protected them, but they didn't have the presence of God. So what does it matter if you have the nice job? What does it matter if you have the two-story home? What does it matter if you have good health? If you don't have the presence of God actively working inside of who you are and who God is making you to be. I have one last point, and I'd like to finish it with a story. You can stand today. About a year and a half ago, we took our family to Hawaii, and one of Zadie's desires was to surf. So, because she's a spoiled brat, they can't hear through this wall, right? <laughs> because she's spoiled, we went on Groupon, and we just got like a little surfing lesson where it was like a two-hour surfing lesson, and you kind of, it was just like a couple yards from the beach, you get to do it. So we go over there, and our guy's name, his name is Savage. He's a big Samoan guy. He's like, I, I'm the surf master, you know? He probably didn't say it like that because I don't know what that is. But <laughs> So he's like, okay, all right, girl, we're going to do this. So she gets out in the water, right? He goes, okay. So I'm with her on the board, and Savage, our surf master, is right here, right? So he's like, you're going to get on the board. Your mom's going to push you. Then you're going to come straight to me, right? And she's not competitive at all, so. And she's like, are you Ready. Ready. Right, right. I'm like, okay, relax, girl. You look stressed. You're only seven. <laughs> so I get her on. I'm like, you ready, sis? She goes, I'm ready. <sighs> it's okay. Try it again. Okay. He goes, okay. Get back on. Get back on, Zadie. So she comes over here. Gets on. You ready, sis? I'm ready. <sighs> oh, she's getting frustrated with herself, right? So 
He goes, you know, after this happened about three or four times, it was not as quick as I'm telling it because I wanted to pull my hair out. But after a few, after about a dozen times, he goes, Zadie, because at this point we're family because we've been about an hour and a half together and she has not surfed one little bit past one little wave. He goes, you're listening to me and I can see you're really trying to be intentional and you're trying to do it. But do you know why you keep falling? She's like, I don't, I don't know why. Like I'm putting my, my arms out and I'm standing, you know, like standing how you're telling me, like, I, I don't, I don't know. He goes, you're taking your eyes off the surf master. We're going to try one more time. And I don't want you to get distracted by your mom or your dad or the ways or because people are everywhere. I want you to get on that board. And when your mom pushes you, I want you to lock eyes with me. You got it? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it. We're all tired at this point, right? So she gets on. And he's out, out of ways because I'm pushing her to shore. He goes, Zadie. And I see him go. She gets on like that. Locks eyes with our surf master, Savage. Sails all the way to shore. And we're going, yeah. And all these people are looking at us. We're like, oh, be quiet. Yeah. Here's my thing. Never take your eyes off the master. You can stand here to this day and say, my marriage wasn't restored. Never take your eyes off the master. My child wasn't healed. Never take your eyes off the master. My sickness came back. Never take your eyes off the master. My family members still passed away when I prayed. Never take your eyes off the master. We don't understand why he chooses to answer some prayers and some he does not. But we have the presence of God and never keep your eyes off your master. He sees you. Jesus. I'm going to pray for us and I'm going to open these altars. But if you feel you have been encouraged to get back in the ring one more time with your request, I want you to make your way down here. If you feel you need to restore and realign your confidence in God's character, I invite you down to this altar. If you just need to get your eyes straight back on the master today, I invite you to this altar. If you're here for the first time and you want to experience the infilling of the Holy Spirit or be baptized, I invite you as well. God, we come to you today with a posture of humility. I've requested, I've asked, I've seeked, I've knocked. And God, I lay my situation at your feet. I'm desperate. I need you to step in. As I figure it out, God, I will lock eyes with the master. I will lock eyes with the master. Come on, I invite you. These altars are open all across this building. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. You can visit our website or church app if you would like to give. And if you enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe, like and share it with your friends, and tag us on social media. Because we want to witness with you what God is doing in your life. Thank you, and God bless.